Amen. What a time we'll have when we're over there. And we will lift up His majesty. Amen. You were singing just the song before that. And Brother, uh, Brother Nathan, I was getting a little nervous. He started to walk in some, some of my notes. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to have a good time tonight, worshiping our King of Kings. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, we'll turn in our scriptures. Thank you, musicians. We're going to turn to Philippians 3. I sure enjoyed the message this morning, Brother Murphy. I know you can hear me up in the corner there. I'm going to pull out my shotgun next time those birds start flying. <laughs> I was thinking back in my seat. I said, that's good. <laughs> so we got the double barrel shotgun of God's word, the Old and New Testament. And just start that buckshot of flying, both barrels at a time. Amen. Amen. No need to even fly around. That was straight from the... Throne of inspiration, Brother Murphy. Loved it. Amen. All right. Well, we'll start it. I'm going to maybe, I figured I was going to read maybe a little bit, but I'm going to read a little bit more than I intended. So I'm going to read it pretty quick. So you stay, stay with me, okay? All right. Philippians 3, we'll start with verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul's saying he's he's got more uh, reason to trust in his flesh for what he has done, who he is, and he goes into that. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Pretty strong word that he uses there, but he counts it all as dung. That I may win Christ. Amen. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul was incredible. If by any means, any means, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Amen. What a passage. One of my favorites. Let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight we just commit this evening into your care tonight, Lord. And Indeed, a little nervous within, but Lord, we just want your presence to come and settle ourselves down so that we can just, Lord, just, just commune around your word tonight and have some fellowship and encourage and strengthen, uplift, Lord, that your word could come and Your presence could just dwell amongst these pews. You could walk amongst us tonight, Lord, for your presence, Lord. To be present is just worth it all. 
We pray you just have complete control, both myself, the speaker, Lord, and these precious ones, the blood-bought, the chosen, that you've chosen, Lord, that are sitting before me. May you take control of them as well in their hearing, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm just going to try and relax a little bit. It's been a long time, actually, since I've preached here. Back in November, so I have to... uh, Settle things down a little bit, a little bit of a different service. I'm just going to go through kind of a bit of a first part, and then I'm going to change a little bit of a, a pace maybe, and uh, and we'll just rejoice. Tonight I want to speak on a, just a little subject called, it's worth it all. And I, I was I originally thought I'd say it's worth every inch, is what I was going to title it based off of a, a quote Butter Branham said, but it's just worth it all tonight. And so I, I just want to focus a little bit on the verse there, I press toward the prize. In pressing, we must set ourselves towards and put a goal in front of us and paul was just speaking as we read a little bit of a lengthy uh reading there but paul was describing that he had he was a jew of all jews of the tribe of benjamin hebrew of hebrews and a pharisee and of course back then you would have that was a very very important uh position to be a a pharisee i mean you were you were the, uh, the, well, as he says, the Hebrew of Hebrews. And everything was perfect. His life was perfect. Nothing, there was no blame you couldn't put on him as as far as, as his earthly um, actions and such. There was just nothing you could say wrong against a Pharisee. And so he was of that before, of course, being converted. And he was saying, by my own works, by my own works, if it was by works, he had it all. Paul could have put it, put himself forward zeal. He had all the zeal. He, he was persecuting those that were against what he thought was truth at that time. And so he had his righteousness, supposed right of living, the Amplified says, which by my fellow Jews believe is the law. I proved myself blameless. So he was, he was, he had it, he had it made. Paul had it made in his position. He had a lot of control. He could go up into the, to the priest and the high priest. He was getting letters to do what he wanted to do. He was a mover and shaker in his world before he was converted. And so Paul was quite the powerhouse. But he cons- considered all of that. He made it. In his world, he made it. And that's and it could be relative. I don't know what your world is, but he was at the top in his world. Whether it's sports or whatever your world is and what you feel is the top. He had made the top in his in his place. But he considered it dung. He considered it dung. Which is a strong, strong word because there was a greater prize that Paul felt was much greater that he needed to obtain. Amen? Something that was worth forsaking everything for. Man, I feel like I'm crazy loud. Am I loud out there? No, my word. Maybe just turn this down. Uh, Worth forsaking everything and putting forward before him a goal that was better than what he had already made. So he's going to press, and he was urging us to press towards the prize, a greater prize than these earthly things that he had. So a goal, I'll just, we'll just talk about a little bit of a goal. Is uh, a goal's good? It's good to have a goal. It gives focus, keeps you your energy, you know, point towards something, helps you stay on track, right? Without a goal, you just kind of you know I wander here, I wander there, and so a goal is is an important thing to have. And there's a lot of you know business. Uh, studies and whatever else they really want you to put goals everybody's got goals these days but goals they allow you to give focus they uh they allow you to measure your progress and something you know did i actually get from point a to point b i set a goal here and i started here so they allow you to put a mark in the sand and measure it It allows you to keep yourself locked in and undistracted that's where i'm going and that's what i'm going to attain and so your goal if you you don't have nothing there you have no clue what you're going to attain so set a goal naturally it's good spiritually as well goals help you overcome procrastination 
It's a big deal. Procrastination. Well, I'll get to it tomorrow. And I'll get to it tomorrow. If you set a goal, you kind of have to get off your, your backside and move, right? Because you want to get there. So you're going to, you know, get past that procrastination. Short-term goals, they help that. Long-term goals, well, I get it next year. That does not help procrastination, right? Because you just feel you have every, you know, tomorrow to get to it. So, and to give you motivation to get, get, get out there and start, start to do something, put some effort out. So that's a, it's a good, there's what a, a kind of a goal allows you to do. And, uh, you know, the world's, there's a lot of goals out there. People would say money and fame and all these kind of things, but you know, the top, some of the top self-improvement goals, you know, number one was to be more fit and healthy. Probably could have guessed that, huh? <laughs> That's number one. Everybody wants to be, you know, slimmer, trimmer, more fit, more healthy, whichever you want to say. And uh, here we are in January, and I wonder how many of those goals have been attained yet uh, after our new year. People want to find a purpose in their life. It's a big goal for people. Let's find some purpose. They want to acquire some skills for success. Their goal is to improve our personal relationships or develop deeper level of commitment and a drive to challenge themselves. And see, so these are people's people's goals. These are natural. But Paul is talking about a much different goal than that. And we've been given a greater goal, a prize to obtain, and that's Christ. Amen? And so we want us to speak on that a little bit. Christ is great gain. Now, goals, they say they must be smart goals. Who's heard of smart? Some of you have heard of smart. <clears throat> you know, that's very important to this world to make a smart goal. It has to be specific, has to be measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. That's a good goal. Have put if you can put a, that kind of goal is you're going to attain it. I was just thinking, well, in the the world's smart is foolishness to God, okay. And what is what is I would say smart to God is foolishness to man. But uh, I, I said, you know what? A specific goal is I need Christ. This is specific. Doesn't have to be get too broad. What are, you you need God? You need God in your life. It's very specific, okay? Measurable. Well, can you measure? Where you are? Well, I'm, as Brother Branham said, that sister said, I'm not, not what I want to be, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I was. Right? So you can measure, you know, if I have Christ, it's a measurable thing. You can see where you are, what your desire is. I, I'm not what I was, and I'm going forward. Is it achievable? Is Christ achievable? <laughs> Open to everybody. Come one, come all. Salvation, it's free. It's achievable. Is it relevant? They say, well, what's your priorities? You want to make sure that your, you know, your goal is, uh, you know, Output and, and uh, value for effort and, and how, pro, how what a priority this should be. There isn't nothing. Nothing that's more important than achieving Christ. And achieving the prize that Paul is telling us about. So it's the most relevant goal you could ever achieve in your natural life. And spiritual life. And time bound. What's the time frame? Today. Today. Christ is the smartest goal you could ever achieve, amen, that we could ever ever attain, as Paul is describing to us, that we must press. Now, goals, Brother Brown says, he's talking about people coming to him, and they have, he goes, and I notice amongst believers, when you have some interviews and such, he goes, you're going somewhere, he goes, what are you drifting for? They're goalless. He said, what are you drifting for? Get some ambition about you, set your goal on Christ, and quit tallying around with the world. Amen. Get some ambition about you and set your goal on Christ. That's where we want to go. But to get a goal, to achieve something, it takes effort. It really takes effort because it's a struggle to attain something. 
to really get to a goal, if it wasn't, uh, it wouldn't really be a goal if it didn't take anything to get there. You know, you'd, you'd have it already, right? A man is willing to go through a whole lot of great lengths to get to certain end goals. In fact, it just built even in nature, there's a struggle to achieve something. I was just looking at a, even a little, teeny little butterfly in a cocoon. He has to work so hard just to get that thing open just so he can achieve flight. Help him out. And he either dies or is a worthless little butterfly for the rest of his life. Because he has no strength in his wings. He has to actually struggle to achieve that so that blood and everything can flow to his wings so he can actually fly. But it's built in him to struggle to go through that, to get to that end goal. We know, sports. I mean, people go through great lengths to achieve an Olympic gold. That's not even gold these days. All right? There was a team in Great, the team in Great Britain right now is training super hard. They were up in a camp in the Sierra Nevadas up at 7,500 feet of altitude and they trained for hours and hours a day. Vision's blurring, lungs are burning, they're vomiting, they're passing out after hours of, of, of rowing. They're the rowing team. They ate six to eight thousand calories a day, double breakfast, all so they can get ready for Tokyo. That's it. They're driven for a prize driven for a prize and they're willing to put some serious struggle into it amen because it's that's what they feel is valuable you know the struggle for life is a major there's a major effort there. the body just doesn't want to die so it wants life there was a gentleman who was caught in two avalanches in romania and dragged himself he fell over a 75 foot cliff shattered his pelvis and his broken femur and he crawled for eight miles to reach the nearest little village, he, in minus 15 weather, Celsius, with a waterproof, uh, with a mountain jacket and a waterproof sack, he was driven to live. He's driven to live, dragging his legs and his broken pelvis. He's, I'm not gonna die. Struggle. What drive? Because there was something needed to obtain, and they kept their eyes on it. And wouldn't let it go. So there's different forms of effort and struggles to attain a prize of what people feel is valuable. Spurgeon said, just a little injection here, Spurgeon, he said, you know, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. Nay, he says, you have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor and cutting and chipping can you make any progress. You need a guide to help you. You're not safe unless you have fastened to the guide or you slip in a crevasse. Nobody slides up, but if great care is not to be, is not taken, you slide down. <laughs> slide back, or in other words, you backslide. It's very easily done, he says. If you want to know how to backslide, the answer is leave off going forward and you'll just slide backward. <laughs> On the mountain of ice as we, as he typed it out. And I, I thought that was pretty good. If you don't keep going forward and pressing, as Paul said, press towards the prize, and you just like, well, I'm just gonna sit still, you're gonna just keep, you're gonna slide. No effort, no progress, no looking forward and driving ahead is actually backwards progress is what he is saying there. Indeed, so we must keep our eyes forward and press to the, towards that prize. I'm just turn to Second uh, Kings two. I'm just gonna, we're just going to go through a little little. Uh,
Elisha, Brother Branham talks about Elisha and Elijah. Elisha was following Elijah. He was on his way. Elijah was going to go. It starts in the chapter. He was going to be taken up. Uh, The Lord would take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. And Elijah went with Elisha to Gilgal. And so we know the story. I won't spend a lot of time on it. But we know that Elisha was now going to be going with Elijah as he was making his way through Gilgal and Jericho and the Jordan. And he was going through each each of these areas. We know that Elijah was saying, you know, just, just tarry here. And Elisha, he says here, Elijah said, I'll start in verse 4. Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he'd already gone through Bethel, and he had said already, just tarry here. And Elisha said, as the Lord liveth, and as my soul liveth, thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So he went to Bethel. Elisha had something in mind. He had a goal in mind. Knowing the Lord was going to be taking Elijah away, he had something in mind. We know what it was. It was a double portion. This was in Elisha's mind. I will not leave thee, so they went to Bethel. But Abraham says, God sometimes tests you. And here Elijah is actually discouraging him to not come with him. You know, just, just stay, stay back. You, you don't want me to come with you? Well, you don't like me? But why? You could have, if you had some soft skin, Elijah, Elijah could have taken that as, well, you know, in a negative way. No. As the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee, he says. So they went to Jer- Bethel. And then they go to Jericho, and each time Elijah, Elijah is actually discouraging him, you know what, just stay here. And each time he says, as the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went to Jericho. Same thing happens. Now, here they are, Brother Branham talks. He says, Elisha's watching him every move he made. That's the only way he was ever going to get the blessing is when he watched him and kept his eye on him. Okay, he has to watch Elisha, Elijah, keeping it, keeping his, he says, keep your eye on Christ. Don't know how sick you are or what the doctor said. Look at what Christ said. Keep your eye right there, he says. Right? Believe what he said. His words are true. So here Elijah, or Elisha is coming up, and it can be tricky with those two, two names. Elijah and Elisha are going here, and here, right as the chariots, and the chariots come down, and the horses, you can imagine what an event that would have been. Right? And what Elisha said, he asked him, he asked Elijah just before this happens, he said, Elijah said unto Elisha, verse 9, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, if thou see me, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they stood, as they went, as still went on, they talked, and behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and the horses of fire, a chariot of fire, and the horses of fire, and parted them both, and they separated them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and took hold of his clothes, and rent them in two pieces. Brother Branham says, Could you imagine Elisha? If his eyes had gotten off Elijah at that moment, at that critical moment, if you see me, your desire of your heart, you'll have it. You'll have the double portion. And through all that commotion, through the distraction, Elisha had to keep his eyes on Elijah so that if he, am I going to see him? 
He didn't know. He said, if you see me. So his, he could not be distracted from the prize before him and keep his eyes on, on Elijah. Brother Bam says, could you imagine? That's what the trouble today with the church. We got too many people that's got off the promise. You shall receive the Holy Ghost. The double portion of, of Elijah's spirit on Elisha was a type of the Holy Spirit on the church in this day. Brother Branham said that's when Christ left. That was the, 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 the greater things will you do. With the whole, when the Holy Spirit comes. Amen. He says, keep your eye on the world, or you, you receive the Holy Ghost, but they keep one eye on the world and one eye on God. He says, you're sure to fall. So the distractions of the world, one eye here and one eye there, you're sure to fall. You need to have both eyes on the prize. Amen. Take your eyes off one or the other. I advise you to take your eyes off the world, off your neighbor, off your association, whatever, and keep your eyes single focused on Christ. Amen. So what are you looking at? What right now is your focus? What are you focused on right now? Is your focus Christ? Is your focus attaining the prize? Am I, gonna, am I pressing to the prize? Elijah had to keep his eyes right on Elijah to obtain the double portion. He said, but Abraham says, when we turn aside today looking at this, looking at the conditions, the distraction from the promise, looking, oh, looking at the conditions around, he says, when you're needing something and you're looking at symptoms. So the prize is, the word says, by my stripes you are healed. That's what the word says. And you can keep your eyes and attain that promise and keep yourself focused. He said, well, oh, but you can look aside and look at the symptoms. And always oh, say, now look, I was prayed for last night in my hands, no better. And never will it be like, no, sir, you don't look at the symptoms. You look at the promise. Keep your eyes off the symptoms and what's going on here in the world, but keep your eyes on the promise. That's the key. The promise is what it is. Look who made the promise. It was God who made the promise. Amen? Man's words be a lie. God's words are true, right? It's God's word who's in authority. It's God who spoke the promise. That's who it is. And you look at your symptoms. He said symptoms are the one of the greatest hindrance God has to work with. Greatest hindrance God has to work with is symptoms. So when you see the symptoms on something and you're praying for something, you're needing a healing and you, or the conditions or something uh, in your life or something, you're seeing all the conditions around you, just say, that is a hindrance to God. Curse those symptoms and say, God gave me a promise. I'm looking at that. Forget them. They're a hindrance to what the promise says. Amen. We want nothing to hinder what God can do in your life. And a symptom is one of them. Amen. The mantle, he says, a double portion. These things you'll do, and greater more if at a double, uh, of it, a double portion, he said, the Holy Ghost. He says, you are my witnesses after you receive the double portion. But Abraham is speaking of the Holy Ghost upon the believers. Let's watch him. Keep your eyes on him. The mantle is down. The mantle is down, he says. The mantle is here tonight. It's the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus Christ in his church tonight to robe any believer that's here with power from on high. The mantle is down. Amen? It's here. 
the, the Holy Spirit is available to those that are going to keep their eyes on Christ and give their full focus and life to Him, and it's there for you. It's available. He said, pull off his mantle. He fought it, folded it. Now we're going to go a little bit further on. Draw it back, because when Elijah crossed the river, what did he do with his mantle? He took it off, he folded it, and he struck, or sorry, and he struck the Jordan River. It's what Elijah did. You know the story. So then now Elisha has this, has the mantle. And he, but Abraham says, he pulled his mantle, Fought it, folded it, let it drop back down on the disciples at Pentecost is what he's saying. Brother, sister, we got a Pentecostal blessing. Then in the name of the Lord Jesus, let's walk down there and strike her. Elijah came across the river and what did he do? He took the mantle and he struck the Jordan River and said, where's the God of Elijah? Boom. And the river parted. Is that not what happened in scripture? And Brother Bram is saying, let's walk down there and strike her. Take the Holy Ghost. Where's the God that was on Jesus Christ? Where's the power of his resurrection now? Amen. I say in his church, in his bride is where it is. Amen. Oh, brother. He said, what's in your hand? Amen. Why it's got right in you. It's in your heart. It's all over you. The Holy Ghost. Do something about it. Throw it out there and trust God. Certainly God promised it to me and I believe it. Amen. Don't hesitate. Say, I'm a son and daughter of God. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Then take that and strike whatever you need and say, where's the God of Jesus Christ? Amen. That's our portion. That's our double portion tonight. Amen. Where is he? I'm looking for brother Raymond. (laughs) Where's the God of Elijah, brother Raymond? He's there in your business meeting, wasn't he? Amen. I was thinking about that when I was studying. I said, where's the God? I said, he was walking with Brother Raymond in his situation this week and walked into his business room and Brother Raymond could say, where's the God of Elijah tonight? It was present in him. Amen. Sister Eileen, where's the God of Jesus Christ? He ticked off your list for you. You're over here. Amen. That's our God. He's present with us tonight. Amen. Devil would just like cause you some doubt. Well, where is he in my life? You just start looking at what God is doing. We heard testimonies this morning. When the devil can come in, well, where is the God Elijah? He's present. He's in his bride in this world. Amen. Man, sometimes I was just thinking, I said, you know what? Where's in my life? I broke my ankle when I was younger. And I won't go through the exact events. But it was healed immediately. I had major allergies when I was young, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12. I came to the front. I haven't had allergies since. That's the God. That's the double portion. That's the Holy Spirit. Amen. Throw it down on the River Jordan. What is your obstacle to get through? And say, where's the God? He's in you. You just need to throw it out there and trust him is what Brother Branham said. Amen. Amen. Now we have an opposite. Luke 17, 30, we know really well. Even thus it shall be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, is what Luke 17, 30 says. We'll back up and go to Luke 17, 28. Likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Does that not sound like today? But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. But who knows what law, who knows what Luke 17:32 says? Exactly. One of the shorter verses of scripture, remember Lot's wife. So two verses after Luke 17:30, which is revealed in this day, 
a prophecy for this day. Two verses later, Jesus says, but remember Lot's wife. That's significant. Because what did Lot's wife do? She did exactly what Paul's instructing us not to do. Which was to press forward, to look forward, press for the prize, not looking back, looking forward. And here, two verses later, Jesus is saying, hey, remember Lot's wife. Because in a time of Sodom, there'll be a whole lot for you to be looking back to and looking at and being distracted by. And, oh, I don't know if I really want to commit myself. Remember Lot's wife. She was pulled by the things of Sodom. She had her children back there. Her grandchildren back there. She only took, they only took out two daughters. You know, if you actually read the scripture, Genesis 19, 16, they lingered. Lot and his wife and his two daughters, they lingered. They're saying, you gotta get out of here, the two angels. And they grabbed them and had to drag them out of Sodom. And even with that destruction, just foreboding and sitting there waiting, because that's all that was waiting was for them to get out of the city and get away before they could actually call down fire and brimstone. And she had to turn around and not listen to what the messengers had told her, to not look back. It wasn't actually that hard of an instruction. Don't look back. And Paul is telling us as well. I press forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Amen? We don't look back, not looking to those that are behind, but I press to the things to the, the things that are before us. Remember Lot's wife. Lay aside every sin, forgetting those things, and reaching forth unto the things which are before. Amen? It's, hey, you got runners that are running a race. You might have seen them. They're, they're, there's plenty of examples out there. And they're running as hard as they can, and they're in the track, and they are in the front, and they are ahead, and they're number one, and they're first. And they're running super hard, and they do this to check out where they're at. And you know what some of them have done? Bailed. And urch, and whew, off goes second place to win. Because they look back to see, and they lost. Don't look back. Paul's instructing us. Don't look to what's behind you. Devil likes to point you to things behind you. Sure likes to point to your past. But as we heard this morning, condemnation and point what you've done. Forget it. Forgetting those things which are behind you. Press forward and attain the prize. Now when people run a race, as we talked about, they're willing to put some serious effort out there. If they feel there's enough value in the prize, right? If there's enough value in the prize, they're going to put some more effort into it, right? And so there's a, if there's a perceived value, it'll govern the pressing, I would say. Right? So if, um, Michael, if I asked you, can you give me 100 push-ups right now for, for 500 bucks? Could you do that? I got 500 bucks right now. Can you give me 100 push-ups? No. It's 500 bucks. Come on, man. It's a lot of money. No? No, there's no value here. Is this paper, right? I know, I'm sorry. Okay, well if I said I'd give you 20 bucks for 10 push-ups, you'd probably do that. <laughs> That'd be easy, because there's some value there for the effort that you gotta do. Going once, twice, gone? No? Alright. <laughs> Not happening, huh? So he, he wasn't willing to put the effort in because there was nothing there for him to 
there was no value in it for him, right? So, but people have different levels of value. Some strive, they'll just do everything because they want to get, you know, a lot of money. And so that is, it's high value for them. They're going to, they're going to do whatever it takes. Some, climate change is a big deal. And so they'll cross the oceans in boats and, uh, you know, rally around the country and go everywhere because climate change is major. So they're willing to give it all. It's high value. So a lot of effort, a lot of pressing because that's their prize, right? Men of all ages, but Abraham says that has faith in what they are trying to achieve has been perseverant. No man can be perseverant unless first he knows what he's trying to achieve. And you first must know what you're trying to achieve and then have faith that you're going to get what you're trying for. And that makes you persistent. You're willing to press for it. All right? Something that you know is real. This world isn't real, is it, Brother Tim? We are just talking in the back study. This isn't real. You know? It's just temporal. And people are pressing really hard for the temporal things. But we must press for what is really real. And that is the ultimate prize of Christ. And all that he has for you. Amen? My, if we can just get our eyes just up a little from this earthly realm. It's hard to do. We were just talking. Not knowing what we were speaking on, right? Amen. All right. You know, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And he, he, can you imagine? God spoke to him and said, uh, Abraham, I need you to pick up stakes and go and surge, uh, go and, I'll just read the scripture, then you can, then you'll know exactly. I'll read Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing whither he went. Up, up from where he was, take his family and go sojourn, and he's going to look now for a city. He's looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. But Christopher said, not knowing whither he went, because now he had to go by faith. Total faith. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He didn't know where he was going. He's just walking by faith. The Lord told me I need to leave the land of of Ur and, and start looking for a city. That took some faith to do that. You know, that just doesn't happen like that. Just to pull up some stakes and leave everything you've known behind. And now it's going, where are you going? I, I don't know. I'm just looking for a city. But is, is it here? Is it around? Nope. Uh, I don't know. He didn't know. He didn't have a whole lot uh, there. So he had to separate from his family to go where? There would have been scorn and ridicule with that. And all through his journey, struggles with Lot, captured, Lot's captured. There's battles. He went through famine, grievous famines. He had to go to Egypt, almost lose Sarah with the, with, uh, with, uh, when he was taken by the, she was taken by the king thinking it was his sister. Uh, had to tell some lies. He went through Ishmael and Hagar and the strife in the camp and that. Barren for 90 years or so. Isaac being be sacrificed. Look at what Abraham went through. And we look back in Abraham, a father of the faith. But all that he, all that he went through, he was pressing. He, it, no matter what the struggle was, he just kept his eyes forward. Through each trial, through each struggle, through each, whatever the conditions were, Abraham just put his face forward and said, there's a city I'm going for. 
There's a city whose builder makers God. I don't know where it is, but I'm just going. God told me, and so now I'm going. It wasn't easy street for Abraham. You know, he was actually... When he met and communed with Melchizedek, Brother Branham, I'll, I'll just maybe go there a little bit later, and he had communion, he said, it must be here on earth, because he was communing with the one that had no father, no mother, no beginning, no ending. He's like, where's this kingdom? It's got to be here because I'm communing with the king of kings. How incredible that here through all the ages, people have been doing, I'm, I'm on a journey to a city whose builder and maker is God. And look where we are now. Wow. You are lucky people. Lucky in the good sense. Blessed people, I'll say. So here we are as the spiritual children of Abraham and we're pressing to that same prize that he started many, many years ago. Searching, leading, looking. And here we are now today. Now, when you're, when you're going to go to a, a place, you know, there's a whole lot of, uh, when you're going to go on a vacation or do something special, it, it, have you ever talked about it a lot? You know, you have big lead up and you talk about it. What does that do? You're all quiet. I'll tell you what it does and then you can say amen or not. It just builds up this anticipation. Yeah, right? When you have somewhere to go and you're just like, oh man, so you talk about it and you just, oh, you just get more excited. You know, there's actually, they say, it's it's one of the most effective methods for giving pre, one of the most effective methods for pre-trip anticipation happiness. Actually a term. An extra, me- if you want an extra measure, it's to talk to your friends about the upcoming event. <laughs> so you, you know, so talk about it. What's coming? What, what are you doing? Where are you, where are you going? Or, you know, all the different things you're going to do when you get there, whatever. There's, there's just something you're like, wow, oh my goodness. And it's actually has a huge part to play of how well your trip is and the post happiness of the trip. Believe it or not, is that how much that pre is. If there's no pre, if your trip is kind of eh and you come out, you actually have worse levels of happiness than before the trip. Isn't that bizarre? So there's that anticipation part of, of, you know, glimpses, you know, glimpses of what to come. And so I was just thinking about that. And, uh, and so just take a little, we might take a detour and then jump back onto the journey. But I was thinking about Isaac and, and Rebecca. And, uh, just one little portion of it is, is what, uh, applies to what I was just saying. But, uh, you know, cause when Isaac, when I, or when Eliezer got there, he gave, he gave to her, and brought her gifts and small tokens to show who this one was. Imagine, he's come, he's gone through what he's gone through to get there, and we know the story of him coming to the well, and I won't go into that just to save maybe a little bit of time. Um, but here now they are, and he's giving her tokens, and, and he, the scripture says she actually gave him jewels and raiment, and, uh, I can even turn to it. Um, and I can imagine he was showing her of who this one was. She had no clue who he was. Well, she's distant, you know, a distant relative. She's a blood relative of of Isaac, which is a, a type, um, but we, which we won't get into in itself. But so now he's got to communicate to her how how wonderful this this one is. So he gives he gives jewels and raiment and and a foretaste of what Isaac was. And I can imagine on the journey home, she would have been asking a lot of questions. 
Who, what is he like? What's this Isaac like? And so Eliezer would be start telling her how, what an amazing man Isaac is. He's heir to all things. He's everything Abraham has, which is just bound, you know, bountiful. It's all his. He's the, he's the prince. And he, and, and she would, he, I'm sure he would go into all of his characteristics and everything that he, he was and how wonderful a man he was and giving her a foretaste of what was coming on that journey on the camel through the desert, however long that was, she was getting a glimpse of what was to be. Okay. And so I was thinking, well, what about our Eliezer? We, we have had a message come. The Holy Spirit has come and we've had an Eliezer come and, and the Holy Spirit has given us a glimpse of what's to come more than what any age has ever had. How, how special this is. A glimpse of what to come. And I want to just maybe just talk this, this, this next section. I just want to, uh, go into that a little bit. Okay. So we just, here we are. We're pressing as we just, our opening scripture. We're going to press to the prize and it's going to take struggle. I know we've got, we've got struggles and we, when we preach and there's different messages and we're trying to encourage and trying to uplift and trying to give strength and different things. And tonight I just want to take the turn. We have to drive. We have to press. It's going to take it. We know there's a struggle, but you got to keep your eyes, as Elisha did, focused on what his desire was, which was a double portion. And we have to do that to attain the prize. So now I want to just turn a little corner, and I want to just talk about about the prize. Okay? This is this is talk. We don't do this a lot. I I, I haven't. You know, we don't talk about these things. And so I just want to talk about it tonight, and just just enjoy what what's to come. Amen. Brother Branham says, there's a little overview. And again, I'm going into some areas here. Help me out. Lord, help me out. Uh, overview of events to come. Brother Branham says in a quote in Questions and Answers. The bride, when she's taken from the church, then the church age will cease. Laodicea goes into chaos. The bride goes into glory. And the tribulation period sets in. Upon the sleeping virgin for three and a half years while Israel gets his prophecy. Then tribulation sets upon Israel. Then comes the battle of Armageddon, which destroys all things. And then the bride returns back with the groom for a thousand years, the millennium reign. And after that comes the white throne judgment. After that comes the new heavens and new earth and the new city coming down from God out of heaven. Eternity and time blends together. Wow. There's a lot there in that paragraph. <laughs> Only because we had a messenger come. No other ages had a quote like that. No, nothing. They've been looking for a city as Abraham started, and that's all. They, I'm looking for a city, and they've got a little bit more, a little bit more. And here now at the end, the culmination of all ages, look what we get. My, my. Okay, we're just going to go on this a little bit. We'll just take little pits of that, just see where we're going. So we have a rapture. We, you sang about it just shortly ago. I'm thinking of a rapture in that on that. Uh, Blessed home on high. When the redeemed are gathering in, right? Just that alone. I said, just the rapture alone. Brother, Brother Nathan talked about it. The different ones that will be present. They were seen 40 days at the, at the resurrection when Jesus resurrected and the saints were seen. Just that alone is going to be incredible. Just that alone. I, can you imagine? We're just going to talk about a little bit of our, of what's ahead. We're going to talk about our future. Just seeing another one of our saints. The WhatsApps are going to start flying. 
I'll tell you that right now. The phones are going to, did you just know who I saw? Sister Eleanor, I just saw Brother Charlie. Amen. This is what's going to happen. That's going to kick off some incredible things. This, this is what we're living for. This is the prize. Part of the prize. Christ is the ultimate prize. With this prize comes this, what we're going to talk about. Oh my goodness. You don't want to miss this. Just this alone. We get to meet our Lord in the air. We get to see him and look upon his face. See the saints that have gone before us. Amen. Just the feeling knowing that the end of time and eternity is now ahead of you. <laughs> saints. I know I was sitting here. I was just rejoicing when I was thinking about it and studying about it. And seeing the saints in the first resurrection. That resurrection. That's just. That's the, that's the rapture. That's the, the kickoff here. Then I'm not going to go through all of those details. We're just going to come through a little bit. Then we have. The, there's the marriage supper. What Abraham talks about is during the tribulation period of time. Can you imagine what that feast will be like? There's been some pretty extravagant wedding feasts down here. And we'll probably, we'll say it multiple times, but I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor come into the thoughts or the hearts of men what God has in store for you. So whatever man has ever thought of and tried to put on, I can tell you that that feast will be incredible. <laughs> Miles long table. You're going to have to travel like a thought just to get from one end to the other. That is for certain. Amen? Because you're going to want to be traveling from table to table, I can imagine. Amen? Wow. Brother Milko will love it. Amen? <laughs> we chuckle. We get excited because this is reality. This is reality. We can talk a lot of the struggles down here and what we're going through and what you should and shouldn't do. And that's important because you need to get through those to get this. But let's talk about this a little bit. Amen? Amen. The marriage supper, the lamb and his wife. What a celebration that will be. That alone, that's a, that's a long wedding supper. Takes a couple, few years there. Amen. And what about the millennium? That's a thousand years of peace. And it breaks the curse. There it is. It breaks the curse. That day you eat thereof, that day you die. And so to be able to live through a thousand years is, as a day unto God, it breaks the curse. What a, what a time that will be. A thousand years? <laughs> I'm in my 30s, pushing 40. A thousand years. What an incredible time. That's just the prelude. That's It's still in time. But Abraham says, that's still time-based. That's still time-based. We haven't got into eternity yet. We actually just cracked it open and we're just beginning. <laughs> 10,000 years and we've just been started. Amen. But Abraham says, while it's going through the millennium, it's going through that's the earth, he says, it's going through its sanctifying process. But still must be burned. Okay? Which the blood redeemed people, it shows this memorial, he says. The price is paid that thousand years, but then it has to be cleansed. He says that thousand years, he's saying, is the price is paid in the in this sanctifying process for the earth. That's what Brother Branham, Branham is saying there in the millennium period. It's the honeymoon period. It says the honeymoon. And the honeymoon is just the most easiest and freest time. It's a beautiful time. A thousand years honeymoon is what you have. I'm going to turn to Isaiah 65, 19, and I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen there for that honeymoon period. You can turn with me if you wish. But around him says this is a millennium, he says here. 
There shall be no more thence infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. He's talking about life and, and no, no dying. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. I mean, you're not going to do all this effort and someone else take over. You're, you're going to build and partake. You're going to plant and partake. Build another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring, tr- bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock. The dust shall be the serpent's meat. It's going to be a wonderful time. Just the millennium. This is just the, this is just the build up to what's ahead for those that can obtain the prize. Those that can press forward. After this, there's the white throne judgment. And the king with his queen will judge the people of all time. I was thinking about this, you know, there are people that are going to be able to come through the judgment and re, and, and, uh, receive eternal life. Because if nobody could, then what's the point of judgment? If everyone is to be doomed. And we, I think of the scripture and we talk, just a cup of cold water cannot, won't be forgotten. And we think of people that can be good, to, that are good to the bride. It might be there, just might be there. You'll be there as the bride. You'll be there judging. And I thought, you know, how incredible that is. That you could actually enable somebody to be good to you. And little do they know, and maybe even you know, that that is actually their way into eternity. You as the bride have that ability to extend eternal life in some cases where you're, someone is able to be good to you, genuinely, out of their heart. And it could be their way into eternal life. I thought that was incredible. So earth must again get its fire and cleansing. God cannot be on any earth, this earth or this earth. God cannot come into earth. That's why you have to go through justification, sanctification, and the burning of the, uh, the fire of the Holy Ghost, burning out your life so that the King can come and reside in you and live through you. If you don't go through that process, there is no King of Kings. There's no Christ that's going to then live through you. You have to go through that. So does this earth. has to go through that process. Or the King of Kings can't come. He will not come to a filthy earth that has not gone through the purifying process. And so it must go through that fire and cleansing. But Abraham says, he does the earth. He's going to use a plan of redemption the same way. It repented and was baptized in water in Noah's day. Jesus come and sanctified by dripping his blood upon it and claimed it. And the new earth that's come, it, it's to have a holy fire baptism. All right, so the earth is going to go through a major baptism. You know, Satan tried to stop that from happening. You know, when he lifted up Jesus and the scripture says, and the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power I will give to thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and whomsoever I will give it. This is the devil speaking to to Jesus Christ. If thou therefore wilt worship me and all shall be thine. Right? But God wouldn't let that happen. Because he had to pay for it so he could claim it. Right? Abraham was the type of that when he had to pay for the, for the land for, to be buried in. And he wouldn't let them give it to him. 
Because they give it to him and then they can still have a claim on it. Right? And that's why Christ had to pay the price. Devil tried to get him there because then devil would still have a claim on you and this earth. Amen? I'm so thankful he did not take that offer. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Amen? Because he knew he thought of you and I have to claim my own so that I can be part of them and live through them and this earth is mine. Amen? Satan had the audacity to think that he was going to make that offer and actually get away with it. The earth explodes and receives its Holy Ghost burning out and all the drost and the sin is burned from it. Scripture says, but, uh, 2 Peter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? For those that are not have not obtained the prize and who are not pressing and living a life worthy of this gospel, this could be a very fearful thing. And that's what Peter is saying. What manner of person should we be, knowing this is coming? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwell the righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Amen? So, but Abraham says, the heavens will pass away the great noise. The whole earth will be on fire, and ignite the gases that's in the earth and explode it. The Bible said, Peter said, which we just quoted, such an explosion will rock it, oh my, cause it to kill every disease, every thistle, every thorn, everything there's to be done. The fire will burn it up. And remember, it's not altogether just a literal fire. He said it's a holy fire. It will take away Satan, all the devils, both heaven and earth, amen, will pass away, killing all germs, all insects, natural life around it. Even the water, says H2O, will explode. Think of it. Talk about a noise. He says, yeah, it'll explode. The Bible said here in Revelation 21, no more sea, and it'll explode. He said that'll change the whole surface of the entire earth. She'll burst and blow to pieces. All the outside, the crust for hundreds of feet below, will simply be completely demolished. What an event that is going to be. But that is God getting the earth prepared for a bride. This is all for you. This is all for you. Okay? So now, because we've... He's, you're going to go through the millennium, the honeymoon, the wedding supper, and all this. But he's got to bring you home. He's going to bring his bride home. Okay? So he's preparing. Now, imagine. Imagine now the bride being taken home. He said the future home of the groom and bride, he's coming back from to the wedding supper. He's going to be three and a half, he says, days. Um, then return again in the millennium or honeymoon. And he's going to bring the city now into view. Mm. Like the bridegroom taking her bri- the bride to her surprise. Oh my. God's got a surprise. God's got a surprise for you. Amen. How little, how the little bride stands there in awe as she looks at her future home. And by faith today, Lord, we see it yonder. It'll be right here on this earth. You promised it. Let's bring up my very first slide. So, how big is the city? It's 1,500 miles. 
1,500 miles square. But Abraham says from Florida to Maine, right? And 800 miles east, west of the Mississippi. That is exactly what that is. That's the size, the Butter Branham outlined, of the city that Christ is building in construction, he says, right now for you. That's the city. Just to give you an idea, it's a whole lot of land. This is the city. This is where it will be. Okay? That's where it will be. Why did God so, why is it God so thought and cared so much for that little place of Palestine? See, but right there is where the temple is set. There, that's where the new Jerusalem will break up right there. Mount Olive shall cleave part to the right and to the left. Sure, when she pushes up from beneath. Not they say what is pushing apart like this. He's drawing. It's pushing up in that day when he stands his holy feet upon the mountain. Notice on his throne, 1,500 miles high. You know how high that is right there? That's the space station. That's 250 miles high. 1,500 miles high is the top of the city. This is a big city for a precious bride that is pressed, that is struggled, that has gone inch by inch to press towards the prize. And he's got a glorious place waiting for you and me. Amen. Amen. Oh, he says, did you ever think now, bride, what it will look like prepared and designed by a divine architect? <laughs> no, what would that city look like? He says, now we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. He has designed it with tender hands. He's designed it with tender hands for his beloved bride. Can you imagine a man marrying a wife? He says that's able, he, that's, that's able how he builds and puts every little thing just exactly to her touch. He knows exactly what every one of you desire and long for and want. You all have a different thought and he knows that. And so his city is that big so that it meets every desire of his bride's heart. Does he care? He cares. He cares for you and for me down to the last finishing touches. Amen. The city here on earth, no more sea. We talked about 1500 miles square explosion dries up the sea and erupts the earth. No more, no more sea. The walls, the walls of the city, scripture says, are 200 feet tall. These are 200 foot walls that go around the city and he's got 12 stones. Scripture talks about the different stones that are on the breastplate that will be the foundations. These are incredible stones. I won't even go into time that talk about it, but the colors and such of these stones that just are the foundation. Man can't even come up. With how would he, there's nothing in man's even vocabulary or thought because that's the scripture says. Man can't think. Nothing in their heart to even try and imagine the glory and the splendor of the city of the king. Amen. The gardens, the terraces, the transparent gold, the streets. When's the last time you read Revelation 21? That's what he, the scripture's telling. John saw a city. Amen? Whose builder and maker is God, which Abraham was looking for and pressing for. Scripture says, having the glory of God, her light was like unto stone, most precious, even like jasper stone, which is white and brilliant, clear as crystal, had a wall great and high, 12 gates. I'll just come through here. Um, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and it talks about the stones that are in. 
And the, and the, he that talked with me had a golden rod and he measured it. And this is where the, the height of them are. 200 feet wall. And then the gates. What are the gates? Single pearl? One single pearl gate? That's a big pearl. It's a big gate on a 200 foot wall. The splendor of a king. Robed in majesty. Amen. Oh my goodness. It's incredible to me. And we, Brother Bram says, don't you see the towns and cities and houses and dwellings are speaking of that, right? It's just a natural thing. These natural things are a shadow. Since there's kingdoms, there's rulers, they come into the city, they take leaves from the trees of, tree of life that lines the river that's flowing from the throne of God. They take the trees for the healing of the nations. It's a big place. I'm just talking the city. We're talking there's, there's kingdoms outside the city. Heaven is going to be incredible. <laughs> that's what I'm pressing for. That's why we're preaching. That's why everyone, that's why preachers have labored. That's why people have witnessed. Why? So that you can attain Christ. So you can come to this place. Why would you want to take this when this is available? It's free. Salvation's to anyone. Amen. Amen. The throne. Scripture says, And the city had no need of sun, neither moon to shine on it, for the glory of God did lighten it up, and the Lamb is the light thereof. My goodness, what potency of the glory of God, where there's no sun or moon needed, because He Himself is the light. What brilliancy. We're going to need supernatural eyes to be able to handle that. Amen? You can't look at the sun, and it's going to blast the sun in terms of its brightness, because its glory and its brilliance will be light for this world. Amen? No pain. No sickness, no sorrow, no more praying for lost children, no more burdens and agony. Lord, speak to my son. You're applying the token here. You're believing for it there. No graveyards, Sister Sylvia, if you're listening. There's no graveyards on a hillside in glory. There's no doorknobs. It's going to hang a wreath for a funeral service. There's no tear. There's no heaped up sod, Brother Brown says. There's no storms and typhoons and earthquakes and all this that is causing damage and havoc and death. There's no planes coming down and sorrow and agony. There's nothing. Nothing, none of that. Brother Brown says, I am more determined than ever in my life that it takes perfect love to enter there. There was no jealousy. There was no tiredness. There's no death. Sickness could never be in there. Mortality could never make you old. You could not cry. It was just one joy. Man, man, we've had him, we've had one come and bring back evidence of the land. Who's ever, who's had that in any age? Had one go, go into that beyond the curtain of time and come back. And he thought, you know, he thought they'd be wisps and different things and he had his different, different thoughts of what it would be or, you know, how am I going to talk to, you know, are we just going to be, you know, not earth, uh, with flesh and, but around him, he had some questions on that and he was able to come back and give us a message that can show us, no, this is real. This is something tangible. Scripture says, The fruit of the tree of life changes each time, each month. Scripture says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life. To them that overcometh, to them that press, to them that look ahead, 
not looking to the things behind him that go to the, towards the prize of them that overcome this world, I will give to them to eat of the tree of life. That's for you. Who can imagine what that will taste like? Tree of life. As I said, scripture said, and we'll come to a close here. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. As I said before, man has a lot of designs and fantasies and photos they've pictured, and you can look at and they're just, just in, in, you know, can be incredible. And then we can look at man and what man has in its splendor and all of the mansions that this world can create and the, you know, amazingness of marble and gold gilded. I mean, that's pretty incredible. But that's man. You're like, wow, that's gorgeous. Why? Wow, you know, gold to, it's just pavement, right? It's just pavement. These are, you know, these are places that, that are real. These are real places. These are mansions. This is what man has been able, and you would probably all love to have that as your home. This is the most expensive place on the planet. Costs about a billion U.S. to build. It's 400,000 square feet, 27 stories. They say it's close to 40 because some of the stories are very high. It's in India, so six. It's 560 feet tall. There's 600 staff, a garage of 130 cards, lobby. This place is in, in, in mind-blowing. But that's about what it is in God's eyes. That's about what it is. It's like a pig in its muck. That's all it is. We couldn't even imagine what that is. Neither could a pig. And that's the comparison. It's just muck and mire compared to what God has in store for you and I. Amen. Glory. Is it worth it? It's worth it. It's worth pressing. It's worth going to the prize. Amen? And that's what we're here for. I don't know what you have in 2020, but my heart's desire is, Lord, I'm going to press like ever before. But Abraham says, it was 2,000 years to the flood. It was 2,000 years to the blood of Jesus basking in the earth. We're at 2,000 or so years. Six days and seven days. We're so, so close. It's worth pressing for. Amen? If they want the muck, that's fine, because that's all it is to God. But I have my eyes that lays a little higher. Lift up your head, bride. Just a little, your redemption draweth nigh. Amen? Glory. I have at the end, this is the greatest of all. But Abraham says, I then, that day, I've often wondered, he said, I've loved to have been standing there that day when Jesus stretched out his arms and said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, I just wished I could have been there when Jesus said those words. Just come unto me. He says, you know, I probably won't ever, I'll probably never hear that from Jesus himself. He's saying, but there's one thing I, I'm looking to him someday to hear him say, it was well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. Amen. He said, that's the voice I long to hear. If he will only let me move into his kingdom and then up, go up close enough that I can lay my hands on his sacred feet or something like that. If I could just see him. Amen. Just to see the one who allowed me, just, that saved me, that laid his blood for me, 
This is what he's giving to you, but you have to attain Christ for that. He's the most important one. He's the greatest of all. Amen. Polycarp was on his way to the stake as he was going to be martyred and burned. And as the story and the account goes, there was a voice heard that said, Play the man, Polycarp. Play the man. Take courage, Polycarp. Be a man. Be steadfast. Look ahead. There's a prize that awaits you. Don't falter. Don't get distracted. Don't give up. Play the man. Get some backbone. You can do this. He looked towards, he had his eyes. He didn't even have his hands nailed to the stake. They just tied him. He didn't even want him to. They tied his little his hands. And he stood there. They said the fire around him went like a like a circle around him and wouldn't it wouldn't burn him. As he stood for Christ, they ended up having to pierce him with a with a sword. Play the man. Say in this age, play the man. Stand like a man and a son and daughter of God in this age. Let's press harder than we ever have. Amen. Why let it? Don't get down now. Don't let down now. Let's press. Let's be diligent. Because there's a prize worth having. Glory. Amen. Musicians can come. If there was anything I wanted to say, I said, I just wanted to say it's worth it all. It's worth it all. Amen. But Abraham says, oh my, why do we sit here and toil in this hot place? Why do we do these things? Why do we drive like this? Why do we toil? He said, it's worth every inch of the way. Amen. It's worth every inch of the way, saints. He says, whatever you do, don't miss it. You can stand. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You can't afford to miss it. How many times does he say that? He says, whatever you do, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You can't afford to miss it. Everything else. Let it everything else go. But make ready for that. See, whatever you do. Whatever you do. For for someone that's son and daughter of God, what joy awaits you? What joy awaits you? I would say if you're looking at that and saying, I don't think I'm going to be there. I'd say, Lord, I need to set my eyes on Christ tonight. I need to press towards that prize. Let everything in this world go. This temporal that's going to burn and be ashes. It's just not worth it. This is worth everything. Christ is worth everything. But Abraham said his final words when he came back to the, from that dimension. Uh, He said, I heard something. It kept saying, you're just starting. Press the battle. Just keep pressing. I said, well, maybe I, maybe he thought he heard that. And so he put his lips within my teeth and put my hand over my mouth. And there it come again and said, just keep pressing. If you only knew what was at the end of the road. I'll say that to you tonight. Just keep pressing. If you only knew. We have a little glimpse a little bit that's come back if you only knew what's at the end of the road it'll be worth it all amen god bless you god bless you tonight i hope that was just a little blessing just a little taste a little glimpse of what god has prepared for us we don't even talk about it a lot but the expectation can be built let's press amen 
I have a song, I don't know if anybody even knows it. It's an old one. But I have been singing it for a few days now. And uh, she's going to have to help me. It might be a solo for the first uh, little bit. Does anyone know When We See Christ, the song? Good. So you're going to sing it loud. And I think on the chorus, I like to stall out on It Will Be. I love that part. Amen. Let's sing the verse. Of times the day seems long, our trial. 